the church. Uh, there were some who had a uh, thought they had a super spirituality in the church. And uh, we are we are in verses 16 through 23 this morning, and these are some very sobering verses because they express the heart of the Corinthian crisis. So read with me, beginning with verse 16 in chapter 3. Do you not know that you are a sanctuary of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the sanctuary of God, God will destroy him. For the sanctuary of God is holy, and that is what you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise at this age, he must become foolish, so that he may become wise. For the wise of this world is foolishness. The wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise, that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All things belong to you. And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. With the introduction here of the image of the temple, Paul reminds us of the purpose of the Old Testament, uh, the temple in the Old Testament, where it was a meeting place between God and his people. God's, God's dwelling place, his temple, is inhabited by his spirit, which is what makes it a temple, a place of worship. And it is only when the spirit of God abides in a place or in a person that they become the temple of God, a place where God can be met with and worshipped. Uh, when we get over to chapter 6 and verse 19, uh, we're going to see that Paul refers to this same imagery uh, to, to you and I as believers when he says, Do you not know that your body is the sanctuary or temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? But here, in the context of chapter 3, Paul is not referring to the individual believer. Paul is referring to the church as a whole. Uh, to, to, to all of the church who are indwelt by the elect of God. Some there in Corinth had prided themselves on their super spirituality, and this is why the divisions in the church had appeared. There were some who were saying, well, I like Paul, and I said, well, I'm going to follow Paul. Well, I like Apollos. He's a better preacher. I'm going to follow him. Some said, I like Peter. I think Peter's a better preacher. And so they had these factions going on. And Paul is trying to tell them, stop looking at me. Stop looking at Apollos. Stop looking at Peter. He said, stop looking at all these things. Keep your eyes on Christ crucified, the message of the cross. Once you get away from that, everything else, you, you start falling apart, going in the wrong directions. And so he's bringing this out to them. Uh, if, if the Corinthian believers were, were not holding on to the foundation of Christ with faith, hope, and love, then neither their nature nor the fruit of the gospel would be seen in the culture around them. There in Corinth. And Corinth was a terrible place, by the way. I mean, it was a modern New York City and Las Vegas and New Orleans all wrapped into one. I mean, there was no sinful vice you could not find in Corinth. Uh, in, in, in Corinth. And so there, God had planted this little church. 
And Paul is telling them, look, you are here to be an influence in this, this ungodly city that you live in. He said, but rather than becoming an influence, he said, you become just like them. You allow them to influence you rather than you to influence them. And the reason this had happened is because, as we've already seen, they, they were concerned because in that little church in Corinth, there were no movers and shakers in there. There was no uh, wealthy people, wealthy people that were well-known and had influence. And, and the people, the, the church in Corinth thought, well, how are we going to do anything if we don't have these kind of people? Paul said, you don't need those kind of people. He said, you have the only thing you need, which is Christ. You have Christ. That's all you need. So... There was nothing in this little church to challenge the city's idolatry and immorality. And as a result, those who were called to be church builders had turned into church destroyers. They were destroying the little church there rather than building it up. And Paul is going to tell them what a dangerous thing that is. Uh, in verse 16 and 17, he says, Don't you know that you are the sanctuary of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the sanctuary of God, God will destroy him, for that sanctuary of God is holy. And that is what you are. Every believer is a temple of God, indwelt by the Spirit of God, and the church is a composite temple composed of all of God's elect. This is what the church is. The church is not this building. The church is you and I as we gather together. To worship God, the Holy Spirit indwelling every individual believer. And we become the temple of God. And so we meet together and we gather together. And the church is holy and God jealously guards that holiness. In the Old Testament, any person who would go into the, 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 the temple, especially the Holy of Holies, where the high priest once a year could go in and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice upon the mercy seat of God, and only the high priest could do it. If anyone else went in there, they instantly dropped dead. If the high priest went in there with known sin in his life, he instantly dropped dead. Because you don't go into God's presence except only the way God has prescribed. And God has said that we cannot enter his presence with no sin in our life. And so Paul here is talking about how God guards his holiness like this. And so, uh, even less does God look kindly upon those who would threaten and defile His holy people. What made the Corinthian church, or any church, a sanctuary or a temple of God is the glory of God dwelling in His people by His Holy Spirit. Someone has well said that in the Old Testament, God had a temple for His people. But in the New Testament, God has a people as His temple. We have become the dwelling place of God. And together, Paul says, we are God's temple. And this is why the health and the effectiveness of a church is so important. It's why we understand why we're here. We are not here to meet the needs of this community. And that doesn't mean we don't meet the needs of the community, but that's not why we're here. We are here. We are gathered. Did you know that this place right here, what we are doing right now, this is not for lost people. This is for saved people. Now, that doesn't mean lost people can't be here. 
We would want them to be here. But to come together to worship is for God's people and God's people alone. And this is why we are here. It is God's demonstration in time of the transforming power of the cross and the resurrection. That's why Paul could say in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of what? The gospel. Why? Why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel? Because it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. Amen. The Jew first and also to the Greek. So Paul said, why would you be ashamed of that? Why would we be ashamed? Let me ask you a question. Do you know this morning the transforming power of the gospel? Do you, do you remember a time? I remember a time when I was dead. But now I'm alive. I remember when I was blind, but now I can see. I was deaf, but now I can hear. I was dead to God. I was dead in my sins. And in, a, in an instant, in a moment, God gave me new life in Christ. I was blind to the things of God. I could not see the things of God. I want to tell you, you can take this Bible. You can read this Bible from cover to cover. You can memorize every word from Genesis to Revelation. And die and go to hell. Because no one can understand this book unless God gives him the ability and the understanding. So I mean, that's what, if you look back over chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul said, But the natural man, that means the lost man, the one without Christ, does not accept the depths of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and they, he cannot understand them because they are spiritually examined or spiritually hidden from him. <clears throat> so, you and I are to be living demonstrations of the transforming power of the gospel. The people outside should look in here and say, those people are different. Those people are different. They don't seem to get upset over the things we get upset about. They don't seem to worry about the things we worry about. They seem to have a peace about them. They seem to have a joy about them. The identifying mark of a, of a true believer is love for God and love for one another. Isn't that what Jesus said? By this will all men know that you belong to me when you have love one for another. And so Paul, and, and you know Paul, he's building up to this. When we get to chapter 13, you know the love chapter, that's what Paul's going to tell them. He's saying, look, you may tell me the answer to all the sin going on in your church. You may tell you the answer to all the division going on in your church. He says, love. Love for God and love for one another. And so we will see that as we go along. But the church is designed to make the world hungry in its empty frustration of life without God. And if you look at the world around us, can you not see that? Can you not see that the world is in frustration? They're hungry for something? I mean, you realize that in our culture today, listen, you cannot watch or you cannot watch any TV show, you cannot watch any movie, you cannot listen to any music, you cannot listen to any radio broadcast, you cannot listen or see or do anything without being inundated with sex. We live in a pornographic society. Why? Today, illicit drug use is at an all-time high. Why? Alcohol. It, 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 it's, you remember, some, well, some of you probably don't remember, things called prohibition. But you know what happened during prohibition? They made bootleg liquor. You know why? Because they craved that liquor. Why does the world crave these things? 
The world revolves around sex and drugs and alcohol and money and none of these things. Here's what they're trying to do. They're trying to satisfy that deepest longing of their heart. And when it doesn't, they become frustrated. They don't know what to do. They, they only fill their heart with shame and guilt. We as a church, we exist to show them there's only one thing that will satisfy the deepest longing of their hearts, and that is Christ crucified. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ and His gospel. He is the answer to satisfy a hungry, hurting heart. And Paul says, look, as long as you've got these divisions going on in the church, as long as you're lifting up this preacher over that preacher and doing this and all that, he said, you're not, you're not influencing the world at all. They don't see any love among you. They don't look at you and say, hey, these people have something we don't have. To move away. This is what they had done. They had moved away from the message of the cross. And when you move away from that message to a culture of paganism, it's a tragedy, and Paul labels it sabotage or even suicide. He said, this is how a church kills itself. This is how you destroy a church, is to get away from the central message of the gospel. No one will ever be saved by a spirituality that takes its cues from the culture around it. I don't care what Oprah says. Y'all knew I had to get her in here somewhere. <laughs> All that will happen is that a church, when it moves away from the message of the cross, it will increasingly become ashamed of the cross. And as a result, there will be no lasting work for eternity. That's what Paul talked about in the previous section when he says, you know, that, that we build with wood, hay, and stubble, or with gold and precious stones and jewels, and they go through the fire. To, to have it tested. And the wood, hay, and stubble just burns up. But the, 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 the precious junk, uh, stones and the, the, the uh, gold, they come through and they are purified by it. Listen, we must never, ever give up, for any reason, the preaching of the cross. That's the only message we have. If we start preaching anything else, we might as well just close the doors and go on about our business. We are here to preach the message of the cross. There are ways of destroying a local church. You know, in the first half of the 20th century, there was a thing called anti-supernaturalism that reigned. Saying that, that, that there is no supernatural things going on. That there is no cosmic God up there that's taking care of us. There was no preaching of Christ and Him crucified and people left the church in droves because there was nothing for them there anymore. And we're seeing the same thing happen today, not only in the anti-supernatural, today we see a super-supernaturalism. In other words, they're saying today that everything is spiritual, that everything is God, that sex can be your God, Drugs could be your God. Alcohol could be your God. Look, whatever your God needs to be, just embrace it. That's the, that's the teaching of, of organizations like AA. It's a terrible organization, by the way. 
Anything that teaches us to go anywhere away from the one true God, no matter how good it is, becomes bad. And this is what we see happening today. People are leaving. Uh, we, we, we see people today that are, that are filling up churches because they're preaching of God. You know, do you know who the modern God is in the modern church? I am. Because God wants me to have everything I ever wanted. He wants me to be rich. He wants me to be healthy. It's all about me. When Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you have to be willing to give up everything, including your own life, or you can't be my disciple. Completely the opposite of what's being taught today. But today we see empire building and adding to Scripture that how they can be very destructive to the church. And the end of verse 17 reminds us how dangerous it is. It says, if any man destroys the sanctuary of God, God will destroy him. For the sanctuary of God is holy, and that is what you are. We must be careful. Paul says, here's what happens when you get away. You see, we're going to find out here just a little bit. In 1 Corinthians, there, there was open sexual sin going on in the, in the church in Corinth. And they, they didn't care. They weren't doing anything about it. Paul said, he said, what's wrong with you people? We're going to see that there are some who are saying, look, I have this particular gift, so I'm more spiritual than you are. God loves me more than he loves you. Now, they didn't say that, but that was their attitudes. And Paul says, you know why these things are happening? Because you moved away from the central message of the gospel, which is Christ crucified. Because Paul says, when Christ died, I died. And if I died, then how can I dare stand up here and lift myself up? Lift up a dead man to you. The Corinthian church, Paul says, were deceiving themselves. Verse 18, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. The Corinthian church were deceiving themselves. You and I can be sitting here this morning. We can be uh, living in deception, deceiving our own selves. They thought that they were wise, but Paul had exposed their wisdom, uh, that, that it was the wisdom of the world and of this present age and had absolutely no credential before God. None. He says, God does not care about your wisdom. He doesn't. Uh, you, you, you basically have no wisdom at all. Because it's human uh, in origin, and it, uh, human wisdom can never bring anyone to Christ. Never. That's why he said over in chapter 2 and verse 14, the natural man cannot know the things of God. They're spiritually hidden from him. Human wisdom can never bring, let me tell you what kind of human wisdom brings you to God. Human wisdom brings you to God. You know, I, I have gotten into this terrible habit. And it's, it's a terrible habit, and, and I can't tell you why I developed this habit. But I go on Facebook, and I look at what's called woke preacher clips, and some of them are absolutely horrendous, blasphemy. Uh, I was letting my wife listen to one yesterday, this lady who took and rewrote Psalm 51. You know, Psalm 51 is David's great psalm of repentance to God for his sin with Bathsheba. And, and this lady had taken it and rewritten it from Bathsheba's point of view. 
And in the, in, in the song where David says, against you and you only have I sinned, she changed that to say, against me has he sinned. But you see, this is what's happening in our world today. These, these are churches, we see churches today where, where you come in and there's rainbow flags everywhere. I saw one where the, the, the preacher stood up. He had on the, the sash, you know, it was all rainbow colored. For diversity, and you know, we have to we have to be accepting of all of, of, of all genders. I am accepting of all genders, all two of them. <laughs> but they were being deceived. And you know what's going on in our world today? You know why these you know why those clips even exist? It's because they've moved away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. They moved away from Christ crucified. And Paul's appeal to them is to come back to the true wisdom found only in the message of the cross. And this would mean for them to refuse to put any confidence in their wealth, in their prestige, in their impressive leaders, or even in their knowledge. Nothing wrong with having knowledge. Nothing wrong. You know, there are some great men of God out there that I look up to. Nothing wrong with that. What Paul's saying is, don't put them in the place of God. Don't put your confidence in them. Listen, don't put your confidence in me because I'm going to tell you a secret. If you don't know this already, I will let you down because I'm just a man. And Paul said, don't look at me. Don't look at Paulus. He said, we're nothing but, but servants of God just like you are. Come back to the cross, he said. The wisdom of uh, true wisdom comes from putting confidence in nothing and no one except Christ crucified. Verse 19, he says, he catches them in their craftiness. That's a, that's a quote from the book of Job. This is a constant reminder in Scripture that no one can ever outmaneuver God. We may think, Well, I know what this book says, but I think it's better if we do this. And God needs to understand that. And God says, no, I don't. He says, I wrote this. I wrote this book, and you cannot outmaneuver me. We cannot do anything outside what God says. God alone is the giver of life and breath, and he can remove it whenever he chooses. I think about the sons of Aaron. Now, let, let me tell you how holy God is. You know, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, when Isaiah stands there, he hears these cherubim. They're flying around, and all they do day and night, day and night, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. Of all God's attributes, that is the only one that is taken to the third degree. Holiness, the holiness of God. And so it's important that we understand the holiness of God. Now, Aaron, the high priest, had two sons. They had the Bahu. They went in. They were tasked with offering the, the, the sacrifices before God. And, and the book tells us, the Bible tells us that they went in and they offered strange fire on God's altar. And I don't know what they did. I don't know. There's a million different things it could have been, but it just says they offer strange fire. And it says instantly, fire came down and devoured them. 
they were dead. Okay? Now, now that shows you how holy God is, but it goes a step further. Aaron is commanded by God, don't you dare mourn your sons. God said, don't do it. Now, can you imagine how Aaron must have felt? Can you imagine seeing your, your, your children actually die in front of you and God say, hey, don't you mourn. They deserve this. That shows the holiness of God. That's how, how, how serious God takes it. And you and I must learn to take it just as serious. God alone is the giver of life and breath. But in slight of such knowledge, we would, we, we would not want to be self-deceived. And Paul makes a strong appeal to the Corinthians to think things through clearly and to act accordingly. He says, think about why you exist as a church, why you as a believer are here. It's to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, to bring glory to God. Paul said, in everything you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, I can do things that bring me glory. And I can do things that bring God glory. But on that day, the day of judgment, when it passes through the fire, you know what my glory is going to do? It's going to go away like a puff of smoke. And only that which is done for the glory of God will last. Only that will mean anything. And this is what Paul's trying to tell them. Verse 21. So let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas of the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. It is characteristic of the natural man to boast about himself and to boast in others. Look at our culture today. I am amazed, okay, now before I say this, let me tell you, I love to watch movies, especially old movies, and I look at men like John Wayne, I mean the epitome of a man, and I think, man, that's a good guy to have for a hero. I love the NFL, I, 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 I guess I'm saying I'm a Cowboys fan, listen, but if you think about, we call these people what? Stars. And we look up to them. And you know what's become the result of that? There's a pro basketball player out there that says, you need to realize who I am and you need to listen to what I say. Because of who I am. And you know what he is? You know what they all are? They're overpaid entertainers. That's all they are. Many of them have pretended to be somebody else for so long, they think they are somebody else. But the point I'm making is this. It's, it's characteristic for us to, to, to boast in other people or even in ourselves because these are all they have to put their confidence in. That's all they have. But that is not the Christian way and verse 21 explains it. He says, let no one put boast in men, for all things belong to you. Here is the antidote to boasting. And the reason the true gospel 
Wisdom is never man-centered. Some of the Corinthians were boasting and men saying, I am a Paul, I am a Paulus, I am a Cephas. But rather than belonging to any human leader, they should have rejoiced that they belonged to God. The human leaders have been given them, that, that had been given them, belong to them. You know, Paul says it in Ephesians, he says to the church, some he gave apostles, he gave teachers, he gave pastors. Do y'all know I was a gift from God to you? I mean, I knew that, but I didn't know if y'all No, seriously, this is what Paul says. He says, stop looking at them. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, when we get down to chapter 4, he's going to say, why do you, if you receive something, why do you act like you didn't receive it? But this is the antidote to boasting. Paul and Apollos were only servants. And they failed, the people in Corinth failed to recognize and take into account the much bigger picture that is involved with belonging to Christ. That I am nothing without Him. I am nothing outside of Him. I am then simply a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul wanted them to see. They were only servants. This world belongs to God as does the gift of life. Paul says there in verse uh, 22, well, well, verse 21, So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. Paul says these belong to you. Or the world, he said it belongs to you. Or life, it belongs to you. Or death, or things present, or things to come, all belong to you. Now think about this. Also in the book of Ephesians, Paul says that we are heirs with, with well, God and joint heirs with Christ. You know what Christ owns? Everything. Everything. You walk outside and you look anywhere in any direction. Everything you see belongs to God. And as a result, it belongs to me. And it belongs to you. Now, I would not advise you to walk over to somebody's car that you really like and say, hey, this is mine because God said it was. That's not what Paul's saying. But Paul is saying, all these things that you're craving are already yours. They're God's. Uh, they belong to God, and so therefore they belong to you. So, uh, he especially, I, I love how he mentions here death. Death. Do you know what death is for the believer? Well, actually, death is the same for everybody, but it's different for a believer. Death is what ushers us into the presence of God. And death will usher every single human into the presence of God. That's not always a good thing. But for the believer, death issues us into the presence of our Father. That's all it is. Charles Spurgeon, he said, all death is is a step from here to there. From here into the presence of God. And, and Jesus, in, in, in Revelation 1.18, Jesus said, I hold the keys of, of death and hell at the cross. The, the message of the cross that the Corinthians had stopped preaching, the message of the cross that, the, that many churches today have stopped preaching, the message of the cross says this, that when Jesus died, death died. He conquered death. You know why? Because on the third day, he rose from the dead. 
and he lives today. And so Paul said, Jesus said, I hold the keys of death. He holds the present and the future in his hands. This is a God that we can trust, that we can put our confidence in. And this is the challenge with which Paul wants to, uh, to leave his readers with at the end of this section. If all the greatest realities are ours through Christ, why would we want to become a slave to anyone or anything but Him? To anyone or anything but Him. If we have understood that through faith in Jesus Christ crucified, we are fully accepted, we fully belong to God, that the local church is His special delight, and that He raises up a variety of gifted leaders to encourage the church not to rule over the church, then we have truly entered into the freedom of the gospel of Christ. Believers with such convictions. And he's going to say, according to who? And he's going to point at Jesus and say, prepare yourself to him. What do you have confidence in this morning? Your good works, your church membership, your baptism, the fact that you carry a Bible? What do you put confidence in? In what or who do you boast? Are you trusting in anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ? Because only our confidence in Him, crucified and risen from the dead, gains us acceptance with God. And you and I as a church, this, this congregation here at the chapel as a church, we are to live our lives in such a way, we are to have such confidence in our God that the world outside looks in here and says, I don't know what they've got, but I want to find out what it is. I don't know what they're so joyful about in such a terrible place we live. I don't know how they can have such peace in the midst of such chaos in our world. I want to know why they have such a love for one another. That's what they should be looking in here and asking. Listen, you must be born again. You must, Jesus said, be born again. You must be given a new life in Christ. We must trust in Christ, in Christ alone, and have nothing but confidence in Him. Listen, that, that for those who are lost without Jesus Christ, that's the only thing that, that, that matters to you right now. Nothing that goes on in this church should matter to you except that one thing. Do I know Christ is my Savior? Am I trusting Him? Listen, as a church, we need to ask ourselves, what do we put our confidence in? You know, okay, I'm about to make some people very, very skittish. Do you know why what I believe is one of the most, one of the greatest blessings God could ever give for the American church is to take every dime we have away from us. Because that's what we have confidence in. That's what we trust in. Anything that we trust in as a church, we must not trust in anything or have confidence in anything except the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let, let, let me back up here a minute. 
I know when I say, oh, we put our confidence in, I mean, we should be good stewards of what God gives us. Okay, don't get me wrong. But we have to understand that whether we have a billion dollars in the bank or zero, this is still God's church. And God doesn't care how much we got in there. I mean, God doesn't look and say, well, I want them to do this, but they don't have any money, so what am I going to do? God doesn't do that. Okay, you see what I'm saying? But we, 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 God times we put confidence in, in, in the programs in the church. You know, as long as we got a good music program, people will come. As long as we have a great news program, people will come. And that's what they're putting their confidence in. And we need to understand that Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Don't lift me up. Don't lift the church up. Lift up Christ. And that's what Paul's telling them in Corinth. He said, look, you got away from lifting up Jesus. You got away from the message of the cross of Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And he said, when you did, everything started going downhill. Now, from the outside, it probably looked pretty good. You know, if you go to the, the book of Revelation, the church in Ephesus, that was a church that you would have loved to be a part of. The church at Ephesus had programs after programs. They were they, they they had a huge congregation. They had great preaching. They were helping and reaching out to the community. And Jesus said, I commend you for all of these things. He says, but uh, you forgot something. He says, you forgot about me. You left your first love. So see, just because it looks good, don't mean it is good. Just because it looks successful from the world's eyes doesn't mean it's successful in God's eyes. As we talked about last week, if we are going to be a successful church, there's only one way to do that, and that's to be faithful and obedient to God. Amen. That's what God calls us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning, God, that you have planted this little church here in this place, and I pray for each and every person that's here this morning. Father, for every member of this church that we might be faithful and obedient. Father, that we would commit ourselves to a life of holiness and pursue holiness with everything we have. Father, we thank you that Jesus is our Savior. We thank you that in Christ we can be forgiven and accepted and loved. And Father, I, I pray that we would never lose sight of who we are, who you are. And that the gospel, the power of the gospel is the only thing that can transform lives, that can make dead people alive. So Father, help us to remain faithful to your word, to preach Christ and him crucified. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.